You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. My name is Cam Daly. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to have you with us on this sunny Sunday. I hope you've been enjoying your summer. And uh, obviously we have a lot going on for us as, as a church, even in the summer, even in this summer, the summer where everybody's going on vacation, everyone's going away, everyone's busy, everyone's trying to enjoy it. It feels like we're finally free. I just want to double down and endorse <laughs> uh, what uh, Nathan was just talking about with Love My City Days. Uh, you know, it's 2022, so we don't rock the pastoral authority thing a lot. Uh, but, I, but I'm asking as your pastor, would you please, would you please, Please consider serving at one of those three opportunities. This is incredibly important about uh, not just as a tangible way of showing the love of God to this city. Like, I'll tell you right now, Port Moody does not care that we're here. They don't care what we think. They don't care. You know, they like, they're just, they're, they're either like totally apathetic or they're like the church is irrelevant or whatever it is. But here's what they do care about. They care... Do they actually love us? Do they actually care about this community? And this, this way of serving through Love My City is a tangible way to say, listen, we're not just here to spout off ideas and theology and thinking. We're here to love. We're here to serve this city. And I think that it's gonna, it matters so, so much. So I want to encourage you, please, please consider it. Please sign up for one of those opportunities. Secondly, on the prayer walk thing, just a, a cool story from our last prayer walk on, on last Wednesday, uh, we were outside of uh, the, the rec center. And I asked specifically, hey, guys, would you pray for me that, uh, you know, I continue to have an opportunity to be able to meet with the Junior B hockey team. I've been doing this for the last three years. I get to come in every second Tuesday and connect with those guys as their life coach, uh, which is really cool. And, uh, and as soon as we're done praying and we're walking back uh, from one of our prayer locations, the owner of the hockey team sees me and says, hey, Cam, we, we got to have you back next year. Uh, come, come talk to me. Reach out to me. And it's just one of those moments where you realize, okay, we're not just talking to the walls. We're not just talking to each other. Uh, we, we're talking to a God who is active and moving in our midst. Uh, and it was just one of those moments that just encouraged me. It's just prayer is powerful. It is so important. So I encourage you, we got those really, those two opportunities left this summer to love our city, to pray for our city. Please consider it. Please come, come on out. So, so important. Hey, uh, throughout this summer, we've been going through this series uh, talking about I am Jesus in his own words. There's lots of ideas. There's lots of uh, different conclusions that people have around the person of Jesus. Every world religion has a perspective on him. Uh, including ours. And what we have been doing throughout this series is, is rather than, uh, you know, just, just sharing our ideas about Jesus, we're saying, what does the gospel of John, what did Jesus in this gospel, this historical document, say about himself? What did he say about himself? And then as we consider those words of what he said about himself, it leads us to a point where we either have to accept it, we reject it, or we correct it, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so this is what we have been doing throughout this series is going, who did Jesus say he was? Today, we're going to be talking about Jesus' statement in John chapter 11, verse 25, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. He is saying, I'm the one 
who can take dead things and make them alive. I am the one who gives life. The very, the very you know, like the source of life. It's a pretty pro, profound. Uh, and, uh, and, and another one of these zinger kind of statements from Jesus that we need to now reflect on and be struck by. I was thinking about this idea of resurrection and life. Some of you guys heard this story before, but uh, it's too good not to share it again. Some of you guys know this about me. I, I have a, a African, I had an African cichlid fish tank. I'm a big fish guy. I've always had fish tanks all my life. Then I had a baby and I got rid of the fish tank. So uh, <laughs> I just didn't have time for it anymore, right? But uh, back in the day, I used to have this fish tank as of a year ago. And uh, one day, Jessica wakes me up. Hey, something's wrong with your fish. So I run in the living room. I start to examine what is going on with this situation. All of uh, the, the fish, some of them are just totally dead. There's some of them that are at the surface gasping for life. Okay, they're gasping for life. And my favorite fish, my most prized fish, my most expensive fish, and most beautiful fish, uh, Bubbles, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he, was, he was clearly gone. He was dead. You can put up this picture of Bubbles, okay? Uh, it's just a, an amazing fish. He was clearly gone. And, uh, and I, I began to realize what had gone on. Something had happened with the filtration. Therefore, oxygen wasn't in the water. And the thing, when there's not oxygen circulating through the water, and the water's circulating, there's moving water or living water. What ends up happening is, is that the fish end up taking all the oxygen out, and then they begin to suffocate, which is crazy. You didn't know that was possible about fish, that they can drown, but they can. So, um, so I see bubbles, and he is dead. He is just, he is deader than dead, all right? And, and, I, and I have this this thought. I'm like, I wonder if I can resuscitate a fish. <laughs> so I reach in, I grab bubbles. He's like this big, okay? I grab bubbles. Uh, I, I pull him out. I start giving mouth to mouth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I consider myself, I'm like, okay, how can I get this fish back to life? Now in my tank, there is a wave pump, okay? There is a wave pump. And I suddenly think to myself, okay, if I can force the water and therefore oxygen through his mouth and out of his gills, maybe I can resuscitate this fish back from the grave. So I grab my fish and I'm holding him in front of the wave pump. I, I'm doing this for 10 minutes with like very, very little signs of life or hope. Jessica thinks I've totally lost it, right? <laughs> 20 minutes go by. And suddenly there starts to be a little bit of movement, okay? Just a tiny bit of movement. 30 minutes go by. There, there begins to be color coming back into his body. Uh, 40 minutes. And I'm not sure if Dave remembers this. I called Dave. Dave is my supervisor at the time. I called Dave. I said, Dave, I'm going to be late for staff meeting. I'm resuscitating my fish. <laughs> Right? And, uh, and so 45 minutes and Bubbles is, is suddenly, he is, he's full of life again, right? I'm not joking. I resuscitated this fish back from the grave. All right? He's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, we can, we can give a hand clap for that. That's so funny. And, and so literally, like, he, he, he came back and he lived for like years after this event, which is really, really funny, kind of a funny and, and silly story. But here's my point and my question. I think the question that we might be wondering about God, okay, the question we might be wondering about God, do we follow, do we believe in a God who truly can actually reach into our situation, which is helpless, hopeless, and lifeless at times, 
uh, in challenge. Do we have a God who actually can reach in, who can, who can not just take uh, dead situations and broken situations, and make, but can he actually bring us back to life? Can he, actually, can he actually restore and instill life into challenging and hard and at times dark and dead situations? I think this is a question many of us have been contemplating, especially the last couple of years. Man, the pandemic really did a number on us. I've seen more people walk away from Jesus in these two years than, than in the entire decade of ministry before that. There was something about this season, it's just sickness and death and sorrow and challenges and, and debate and disunity and all these things that created this climate that I think instilled in our hearts doubt, instilled in our hearts confusion. We were removed from community, from being around other people who believe, and we began to question, we began to contemplate, and I think we began to wonder, we began to wonder, is there actually a God like, who cares about the, the situation here? Is there actually a God who has the power to reach in and give new life? Does God care? And, man, it, the pandemic has, is, is, you know, in many ways come and gone. I know it's still a reality. And yet there's new situations. There's wars, right? There's rumors of wars. There's horrific situations that happen in Afghanistan. There's horrible situations happening in Ukraine. There, there's tragic situations happening in places like Buffalo and, and Uvalde, Texas. And, and it goes on and on and on. Even recently as we, we reconsidered and, you know, the Pope was visiting in, in an act of trying to bring about reconciliation, we consider the past. And I think for many of us, as we consider those questions, I'll say it one more time, we wonder, we wonder, is there truly a God who, who can resurrect? Is there truly a God who can bring about life? Is there truly a God who cares? Am I right? I think we're, I, we're wondering, and to be honest, if you're wondering, I don't think... Uh, I, questioning or asking God these hard questions is, is beyond what we're allowed to do. In fact, I, I think it's totally acceptable. And so there's this story in John chapter 11 where Jesus makes this I am statement. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who can take dead things and make them alive. I am the source of life. And we see in the story a situation where God enters a situation, he reaches into a situation, and he takes something that seems impossible, someone who is dead, and he brings them back to life. And so uh, before we, we jump into this I am statement, I want to, I want to read for us uh, from John chapter 11. Uh, and give us a little bit of the context of this story, okay? The context of the story. And so if you're willing, uh, if you're able, would you please stand as we read this together? Uh, and it's found in John chapter 11, and we'll start in, in verse 1. It says this, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. It says, So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling them, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Confusing, right? Confusing. They're saying, hey, Jesus, can you come help? Can you enter the situation? And he says, no, nah, this, 
It's not going to end in death. This glory of God. I'm going to wait two more days. It's a confusing moment. We'll explain a little bit more of that later. And, and then it says this. And so he stayed where he was for two days. And finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. They said, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'm going to go wake him up. The disciples were confused. They said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. Right? They didn't, they didn't understand what Jesus meant. Lazarus wasn't simply sleeping. He meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. You may be seated. We see this situation that I think to many of us as we're reading it, we're confused. I think uh, it kind of brings up the feelings maybe that we've been feeling over the last couple of years. Jesus, hey, would you help us? Jesus, hey, would you come? There's a situation, there's a problem we need you to enter into and we need you to fix right now. And Jesus in this story responds the way that I think uh, we, we feel sometimes. He says, nah, I, I, I'm going to wait a little while. <laughs> I'm not going to enter this situation, but don't worry, it's not going to result in death. This will be for the glory of God. You're like, what? Jesus, I need you to come to the rescue right now, <laughs> right now, right? And Jesus says, nah, I'm just going to wait a couple days. You ever feel like that sometimes with God, right? You're like, hey, God, I need you. Where are you? Right? He's like, I, I always think of the story of uh, Jesus when he was in the storm. The disciples are freaking out. Uh, there's this massive storm. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're getting water out of the boat. And meanwhile, Jesus is having a nap on a pillow in the back, right? Like, and I think sometimes we can feel that way with God, right? It's just like, it feels like he's having a nap. It feels like he's distant feels like he's distant. And it's interesting, Jesus, the reason he waits two days, here, here's the contextual piece for this, is this, is because in that culture, in that day, and in, in that time, they believed that the soul of a person would hover around the dead body for a number of days, and then when it began to stink, the soul would smell the smell, and then it would depart. So there was a belief that it, it would take up to three or four days to ensure that someone was actually dead, right? Someone was actually dead. This was a problem back then. So much so back in the day, they used to actually create graves with like little strings with a bell. You know what I mean? Just in case someone woke up in the casket, they could say, hey, come help me. And it's similar kind of in Jesus's day. Once, they, once it began to stink, they realized it was over. And so Jesus is waiting. Why? He is waiting to ensure that Lazarus actually dies. Which is kind of a little morbid and sick if you think about it. But <laughs> Jesus has an understanding, one of his capacity, his power to take dead things and make them alive. He knows and he knows that this situation is actually going to point to the glory of God. But here's what happens. And, and I think we can relate with Mary and Martha. When Jesus arrives on the scene and he approaches Mary and Martha, they both respond in the exact same way. They, in fact, they say the exact same sentence. Verse 21 and 32. Lord, if you were here then, right? Chapter 11, verse uh, 21 and 32. They say the exact same thing. Lord, if you were here then, our brother would not have died. Lord, if you were here then, he, he would still be here. 
they begin to question Jesus. And I think the reason why many of us struggle to believe, withhold trust, the reason we aren't all in for Jesus maybe as we once were is because of our if you were here thens. As I alluded to earlier, God, if you were here then, this situation wouldn't have happened to me. God, if you were here then, I wouldn't have had to go through that. God, if you were here then, why is there so much war, destruction, and pain in the world? God, if you were here then, why is there things like pandemics? Lord, if you were here then, and you can fill in that blank for yourself. We all have if you were here thens, and they have it as well. They have it as well. Perhaps you're struggling with the if you were here then situation right now. And you're here, it's Sunday, you're going to church, but there's a, a part of your heart that's unsure. Lord, if you were here then, Lord, if you cared, where are you in the midst of this? Why are you waiting two days? Why are you waiting two weeks? Why are you waiting two months? Why have you waited two years to, to intercept, to enter in, to reach into my situation? Why, God? And it's a fair question to bring to God. Some of us were brought up to never ask questions of God. But he is God. He can handle your if you were here thens. Bring them to him. Martha doubts Jesus' goodness, his care for them. And God's lack of acting and response when we cry out to him is frustrating. Trust me, I've been there. It is so frustrating. God, please, would you enter the situation? God, I desperately need your help. And today I don't fully intend to answer the problem of evil and suffering. That's a sermon series, all right? But here's what I do know. I do know how Jesus responds in this story. He responds to each one of these ladies in different ways. To one, he weeps. To the other, he declares his, his power and his authority. I want to talk about the first one. In verse 33 to 35, here's what it says. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, Come see, and then verse 35, it's the shortest verse in the entirety of the New Testament, but perhaps one of the most insightful into who Jesus is. Who is this, this Jesus that we're considering? It says, Jesus wept. Two words. Jesus wept. Here's what I sense Jesus was saying and expressing through his actions in this chunk of scripture, in this story, I think he was meaning to say to us, I'm deeply sorry. I'm deeply sorry. I'm deeply sorry this was never the way it was supposed to be. It was never meant to be like this. There was never meant to be sickness or pain or death or sorrow or just difficulty. Like you've experienced, it, it wasn't meant to be this way. This was not the plan. And it actually says, he's not just sad and sorry, but the NLT puts it, a deep anger welled up within him. He's actually angry. He's not angry at them. No, he's angry at death. Death was never meant to be part of the equation for humanity. Sin 
was never supposed to be part of the plan. This was not God's intention. And he sees the effects of sin. He sees the effects of death that affected a very close friend of his, Lazarus. And it says a deep anger welled up within him. He was frustrated. He was upset at the consequences of this destruction, this sin. This is not the way it was meant to be in the God of the universe, Jesus Christ. I believe he is God. I believe his words to be true. He weeps. He weeps tears of anger. Tears of loss, tears for loved ones who are gone too soon, tears for his friend Lazarus. You see, we have a God who understands. We have a God who understands. Listen, I, I know it's hard to, to see, it's hard to understand where is God in the equation of human existence right now? Where is he? But I'll tell you this, we do not have a God who is far away, who is removed, but we have a God who became like us, who entered into our situation, who put on human flesh, who experienced loss. He experienced the fullness of what it was meant to be human, and he weeps. He weeps, he understands. He feels the same frustration you do. He feels the same anger you do. He feels the same sadness and sorrow that you do at times when we encounter these incredibly difficult situations that we go through. Christianity is different from other world religions and philosophies because we do not have a removed kind of deistic God up in the heavens ruling and reigning, judging. He, he is that, but we actually have a God who, who went from heaven to earth who came among us. He's not far from each of us. As Hebrews says, he says, we don't have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize. He, he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's, who's experienced everything we have. Jesus weeps with you. But that's not all he offers you today. He's not just, he's not one of those, those people who say, oh, they just, you know, it's profound that Jesus weeps with us. Don't get me wrong. But he doesn't just offer tears to us today. We see in the second response, the second response to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? He asks her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is an extraordinary divine claim. Once again, he is saying, I'm the one who has the power to bring dead things back to life. I'm the one who sustains life. As Acts chapter 17 says, in him we live, we move, we have our being. He's saying, I am that one. As Colossians chapter 1 says, he holds all things together. He, he is saying, I am the one, the source of life. As John chapter 1 says, right? He says that Jesus entered and, and all of life came through him. This is, this is a extraordinary, extraordinary divine claim. I'm the resurrection and the life. And as we've seen in this I Am series, this is not a standalone. He makes, a, he makes a, at least six others, right, of these, these incredible, incredible claims. He, he, says that, he says that before Abraham was, I am. That was our first one. He says, I am the bread of life. He says that I am, he says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It, next week, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Claim after claim after claim. In John chapter 1 verse 4, it says the word Jesus gave life to everything that was created. John chapter 6 verse 47, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes will have eternal life. Jesus makes these claims time and time again, and he does it again in our story. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Really? Eternal life? So what do we do with a claim like this? We, we cannot respond apathetically or moderately. Tim Keller uh, puts it this way. He says, the founders of every other major religion say, I am a prophet who shows you how to find God. But Jesus taught, I am God come to find you. This means we can't look at Jesus as only one more religious teacher supplementing the world's store of wisdom. He either was a conscious fraud, was himself deluded, or was in fact divine. Jesus then demands a radical response of some kind. I'm not even saying what that response should be, but there should be a radical response. He says, you can denounce him for being evil. You may flee from him because he's a lunatic. Or you can fall down and worship him for being God. All those reactions make sense. They're consistent with the reality of his words. But what you can't do is respond moderately or apathetically. You must not say to him, nice teaching, very helpful. You're a fine thinker. This is simply dishonest. This is simply dishonest. Why? Because if he lied to all of us, we should no longer lift him up as a great teacher. We should reject him. If he was a lunatic, we should have sympathy for him, right? But no longer continue to perpetuate these myths and ideas. It's dishonest. We have to have a response. Or, as many of you and I have said, we've, we've fallen down. We have said, you are Lord, you are God. And I, you know what? I, I know it, it, in, in 2022, it's, it's not popular. <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not lifted up. I know I get called a lot of names for believing. I know I get lumped in with a lot of uh, people groups and ideas. But, but I, I can't get over it. I can't get over it. Jesus, you are God. I believe you. I think of the disciples, there was an occasion where many people stopped following Jesus and Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? They say, no, to where shall we go? You are the one who has life. You have the words of life. And I think for, for some of us, that's where we're at. Jesus, you have the words of life. This divine claim is forcing us to make a statement and belief. This divine claim of Jesus, this I am, is forcing us to make a decision about who he is. I don't say make that decision quickly, okay? If this is your first time, you're just considering all this, like you don't have to decide today, okay? The spirit of God is moving in you, why not? But this is not a decision we should make quickly. We should deeply consider who Jesus is and what he has said and decide. Who is this Jesus? This is the point, the idea of this series. Jesus, through this statement, he is inviting Martha and he's inviting us into the life that he offers. 
With this statement, he is inviting us into life. We often hear this, invite Jesus into your life. Hey, you should invite Jesus into your life. No, he, he is the one who gives life. Jesus is inviting us into his life. The life that he offers us. He is inviting you today into his life. You don't want, you don't want to invite Jesus into your life. <laughs> I'm a finite person, right? No, I want to be invited into Jesus' life. The life that he offers. And this is what he is doing for us today. And through saying and answering the question that he asked, do you believe this? By a simple yes, I know it's like mind-boggling to consider just through like through a declaration of our tongue and our hearts and our mouths. What is being offered is eternal life. It says, I am the resurrection life. Anyone who lives in me, anyone who believes in me will never, ever die. We're, we are offered, we are given eternal life. See, this is a shift today from religion. This isn't just, you know, following the rhythms, going to church on Sunday, taking communion, reading, praying, those kind of things. Jesus is inviting us into relationship. This isn't just a philosophy, right? Just a, a mindset. No, Jesus is inviting us into his life to know him, to believe in him. This isn't just a, you know, another kind of moral code, right? That we, that we live our lives by. And to, to help us discern what is good and right and true. No, Jesus is inviting us to know him, to believe in him, to find life in him. This is what we see here. And so the question we're asking this morning is this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because if we believe, it changes everything, guys. It really does. And we see in this story... Jesus isn't just one who weeps with us. Jesus isn't just one who makes bold and audacious claims, but he backs them up through action. He backs them up through not just his words, but through his deeds. Look at this in verse 38 of 44 to 44 in this story. It says this, Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll aside the stone, he said. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. I love how the King, King James Version puts it. It says, Lord, do not roll the stone away because he stinketh. Right? <laughs> so funny. But Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside and Jesus looked up to heaven. He said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I'm saying it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out of the grave. Imagine that moment, right? You're just standing there. You're like, okay, what's going to happen, right? And a man comes out of the grave. A dead man came out. His hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him and let him go. 
I always think about this story from the perspective of Lazarus. Can you imagine? You're in heaven. You're living your life. You know, you're, you've, you've got your, your mansion. You remember the mansion of many rooms, right? They were done, right? He's like, you're, you're just, you're starting to, to, to like figure out the layout. <laughs> and all of a sudden you hear like, hey, Lazarus, we need you downstairs. <laughs> like, right? Like, <laughs> Right? You know, it's just like, can you imagine for Lazarus, you show up, you're wrapped in grave clothes, that old back pain's back, you know, you're like, oh man, right? It's like, really, you still got this hangnail? Really? Oh man, he doesn't even come back to 2020 vision, right? Like he says, like, it's like, come on, Jesus, right? But he, 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 he comes back from the grave, what a profound moment. As, as we see with the I am's, many of these I am statements are Jesus just spouting off ideas about himself and who he is. But with this one, we get a story accompanied with it that proclaims that, that, that he actually is a God who can do what he says he does. And Jesus is still in the process of taking dead people dead situations, and dead things and bring them back to life. He's still a God who is calling people's names and calling them out of the grave. Remember when I was 16, I heard him calling me. I heard him calling me. You can maybe remember the moment where you heard him calling you for the very first time. Hold on to that moment. Hold on to that moment in your heart. It's so powerful. And maybe today, maybe you are hearing him call you. Maybe you're hearing his name. He's saying, come out of the grave. Come out of the grave. Trust in me. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Jesus is still in the process of taking dead things and making them alive. And I know our world is broken and I know our world is confusing, but each of us, as we consider our testimony, the experiences, we can think back to those moments where God moved in our life. We can think back to those moments where God took really harsh and hard realities and, and, and he, he entered in. And if you haven't had that moment yet, he's asking you to trust him. Today, uh, on my phone, you get these, these daily Bible verses. And the one that popped up and I think is relevant for us today, it's this reminder of Revelation chapter 21. That even when Jesus doesn't move in our situation today, he promises that he will. He promises that he will. And Jesus says, look, I'm making all things new. He says, and, and I will create a place that is full of life. It's just streaming with life. And you see a tree and there's a river and there's all these things happening in there. And then he says these words. He says, there'll be no more tears. I think of these women who are mourning, mourning in this story. He says, you, you will not mourn any longer. He says, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death will be no more. Everything will be restored. Jesus today is offering us a resurrection of our souls, of our spirits, that we would be made, have, have a new life, have that new life spiritually, but eternally he is promising that he will resurrect, he will bring life to all things, to all nations, to all people. I'm going to invite up the band and we're going to transition into our communion time. I love verse 36 in this story. The people who are watching 
Jesus respond to this situation. Here's what they say. They responded, oh, how he loves Lazarus. Oh, how he loves Lazarus. They could tell Jesus had this deep love for his friend. But every time I read that scripture, I go, yes, he loved Lazarus. But oh, how he loves you. Jesus loves you. God loves you. How do I know this? Because in verse 53, it says, From that time on, the religious leaders began to plot Jesus' death. You see, in order to stop Lazarus' funeral, he had to start his own. In order to bring Lazarus out of the grave, he would need to go to the grave. In order for us to have life, he would have to die. You see, the reason I, I, can, I can know, the reason I can believe that God loves you is because Jesus, the God of the universe, he went to a Roman cross where he died for our sin. He died in order that we may have life. In order that we may have life. Life spiritually, but life eternally. <laughs> and so he, he puts Lazarus' funeral to a halt. And because of this event, the religious leaders start to plot Jesus' death. He knew this. But he willingly goes to the cross for you and I. And the reason we can have assurance that we too will have new life. The reason we can have assurance that Jesus, this wasn't just a one-off that he resurrected one guy from the grave one time a couple thousand years ago is this, is that three days later, after he died, he too rose from the grave. First Corinthians tells us that he was seen by the disciples who rejected him. He was seen by more than 500 people. He was seen by his brother. He, he, he was seen after this resurrection. And this gives us assurance. This gives us hope that we follow not a God who just makes statements. Hey, you'll have eternal life. But he goes, listen, I died and I rose. And so you, although you are dead, you too can rise. You too can have new life. This is our assurance. This is hope. And so when we come to the communion table today, this is what we are remembering. We're remembering the death which brought us life. We're remembering the death which, which led to a resurrection, which gives us hope that we too can have new life, that we too can experience the newness that Jesus promises, that one day he will make all things new. And this is what we are remembering today as we come to the table. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then when you're ready, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, you want this life that he's offered, whether it's for the hundredth time or the first time, you can come to the table and remember. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for today. Jesus, thank you for your words. This I am statement is challenging. It's challenging for us. Because, Lord, we can't have a moderate, apathetic response. We need to decide how we respond. And as we come to the table today, it's a declaration of our response. Of saying, Jesus, I believe it's through your body which was broken. It was through your blood which was shed. It was through your resurrection that I too will have new life. I believe. I believe. And so I pray that each of us, rather than just out of religiosity, getting up and grabbing the elements, that we would really consider, do I believe? And as a statement of belief, we would come forward, we would take this, remembering that we are forgiven, that we are made new through you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. 
If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.